2: My guest this week is James Awad. Uh, He is currently the chairman of Plimsoll Market Capital uh, and a very famous money manager. Welcome to the show, Jim.
3: Thank you, my honor and pleasure to be with you.
2: Let's start with your background a little bit and tell us your uh, history and how you got to uh, where you are today.
3: Okay. Well, I was a uh, a small cap core value investor for uh, many years, started my own firm uh, in conjunction with uh, Raymond James in 1992 uh sold it to Raymond James in 1997 took a 10 year um uh contract and I left in 2007 uh a typical case of um an, an entrepreneur selling to a large company and uh deciding after a period of time that uh, uh w- w- would rather be entrepreneurial than working at a large company so uh I, I, I left and, and uh, on on uh, you know reasonably friendly terms and uh, a business school classmate of mine who I've known since 1967 had been at my uh, on my board at AWOT Asset Management. His name was Tom Barry, and he was the CEO of Rockefeller. Uh, the Rockefeller family ran all the Rockefeller family for many years. And he had started a firm in 1994 called Zephyr Management, which was um, uh, formed to manage emerging market investments for the Rockefellers and the families that invested with them so i came over to uh, zephyr and started a wealth management uh operation for them called plimsoll mark capital uh which is a um uh, a very uh conservative uh, uh friends and family although it ex- extends beyond that to people who were referred in who are referred in conservative uh, uh asset allocation firm we don't actually manage the money Ourselves, but we sit uh, together with the clients, uh, get a determination of where they want to be, uh, in how long, what their risk tolerances are, and uh, we 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 create an asset allocation based on managers that we have chosen and interviewed and and uh, reviewed. Uh, we have a very senior investment committee consisting of myself, uh, Tom Berry, the uh, uh, the founder of Zephyr. Bruce Lewick, who ran the Dayton family money of Dayton Hudson, Steve Kanner, who ran uh, Dreyfus, Don Kurtz, who ran the General Motors pension plan, and uh, Steve Bates, who ran emerging markets for J.P. Morgan Fleming, and then my associate at the Pumpsamark Bill Hall. And we, we create a, a vision of what the environment is, do um, a, a baseline model, uh, managers within each model. And then we talk to each client and invest them, not according to the model, but using the model as a basis to start and then create portfolios for individual clients.
2: So let's understand the, the system of asset allocation that you use. You have uh, a process. So why don't you kind of briefly describe the process you go through in figuring out what is appropriate for each individual client?
3: Right. Okay. So uh, we, we, we break the investment world down into a couple of different categories, uh, the main one being growth uh and and that would be uh customers who are uh interested in uh long-term growth of uh, of capital and we have a um, uh, a series of managers that we've identified uh within that category and then uh there has been a risk of uh, deflation uh recently um and and um, uh, so we we have a fund that we use as a uh, protection against deflation, as many people as are worried about deflation are worried about inflation. So we have two funds, uh, that people can invest in, uh, based on, uh, uh, uh those who fear inflation. Then we've got a, a developing market, uh, uh which, which really is a, a subset of, of emerging markets and frontier markets, uh, for those who want uh, participation in the higher growth in emerging markets. And then we have um, uh, an absolute return, uh, non-correlated uh, a group of, um, uh, of managers, and we have um, uh, three managers in that strategy.
2: So, is that private equity and long and short? Is that what you mean in that category?
3: Yeah, yeah some of them are. Uh, one of them is uh, complete long-short. One of them is a multi-manager. Uh, uh, actually, actually, two of them are a multi-manager. Uh, 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 long short and a variety of um, uh, strategies. One of them is a more traditional long short equity manager, and two of them are um, uh, more more diversified manager of manager funds uh, who who invest in a, a a a a wide a wide variety of um, different investment vehicles to create an absolute return non an attempt at creating an absolute return non correlated investment program. So you
2: have all these different – kind of whatever happens in the world, you've got something that can benefit from it is what you're saying, basically. Yeah,
3: exactly. And then the clients can tilt uh, uh, depending on, on their uh, uh, preference. I mean, some clients want more in emerging markets than in, in traditional growth. Some are more worried about inflation than deflation. Uh, some are uh, more interested in absolute return than relative return. So we pick and choose from the model and the managers to meet each client's uh, objective.
2: And of the many, many managers out there, how do you pick the managers that are best in each of these different disciplines?
3: Right. Well, we've all been knocking around for uh, more than a few years. I personally have been doing it for 45 years. So we, 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 we tend to know uh, particular managers and particular management organizations. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Uh, 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 Tom Barry, the founder, uh, spent many years at uh, T. Rowe Price as Director of Research and running the um, New Horizon Fund, so we have good relationships at um, uh, T. Rowe Price uh, and, and can get to the right people at the right time. One of our members is uh, on the board of the SIT investment firm in uh, Minneapolis, and so uh, we can um, uh, uh, get good insight into what's going on uh, in those firms. Uh, in terms of... Um, uh, 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 long, short, uh, just to give you an example, uh, I've known a fellow called Lee Cooperman since 1969. And uh, if I need to see Lee at any time, I can see him. If I have an email question, he'll usually return it within a few minutes. So we generally deal with managers where we know the people, we know the vehicles, and we can um, uh, monitor, them, monitor them on a um, uh, pretty regular basis. Now you
2: say the saw process is different in uh, kind of risk versus return. How is your view different than the conventional view?
3: Well, in terms of breaking down, uh, most most uh, investment firms will look at uh, large cap uh, core, large cap value, um, uh, you know, small cap growth versus small cap value. There, there are very traditional. Uh, boxes that that uh, uh, traditional firms uh, use, and and most people. I'm on you know several investment committees and uh, my church, et etc. And uh, the traditional approach, and we're not saying this with any denigration because it, it worked for many people for many years, and they, they do it by style box in terms of the uh, the manager. We prefer to do it uh, a, a, a different way, look, c- categorizing the risks and the opportunities as growth, deflation, inf- inflation, uh, developing opportunity, and um, absolute return. So it's a conceptual bias uh, that um, uh, uh, works for us in terms of uh, 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 matching the complexities of the market to a to a process and an ideologically that we can understand and explain to our clients
2: and then you also have a different view on diversification compared to the conventional view. How is the Plimsoll view different than the conventional yeah, view? I would
3: say that we have um, uh, less less managers than uh, uh, than most. We have a total of uh, 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 eighteen uh, on the platform, uh, but the, the model will have, uh, uh, it will actually has 11, 12 tell 12, uh, managers in it. We can drill down deeper and, and, and add other managers other than those in, in the proposed model, approved managers. But we're basically going with, um, uh, 12 managers and understanding that it is, it, there is a conservative bias. Uh, the idea is to protect capital uh in down markets to participate in up markets never to be uh the hottest kid on the uh, block which i will tell you provides challenges uh in years like 1999 2007 and 2013 when when the markets go up uh, consistently on a, a on a sustained basis uh and and you're focusing on risk preserva- risk control preservation of capital um, uh, you have to you have to re- remind clients of what the the long term goal and the strategy and the the, the, the discipline that you've implemented, because uh, when the markets are smoking, you know, every, no matter how good the client match and how well you've thought it out, um, uh, people do tend to get a little bit anxious when the markets are screaming and they're just participating.
2: Oh, they they want to get in on the game while it's hot. Yeah,
3: and yeah, then uh, uh,
2: On it's- the other side, say it. Take a two thousand eight. What do you have to do to keep clients? Um, sanguine and, and not panic when right. things are going well, really badly.
3: Uh, yeah, the, the, it, it, it's actually a little bit easier in, in that environment since y- you tend relative to, the, to the, uh, the markets to do better. So that piece of it uh, is easier. But again, uh, the key is to remind clients to keep their eye on the long ball that they have a strategy, uh, that um, uh, it does not pay to react to emotion. Unfortunately, many people Want to increase risk when things are going up, and to uh, uh, decrease risk when they're going uh, down. And the way I try to, um, uh, to, to to describe it is: when I was a young man, I worked at a, uh, what is, had become a very successful firm called Newberger Berman, started by a guy called Ray, Roy Newberger, who is a, uh, a legend in the investment business. And I remember sitting directly behind him in 1973 when I was 27. And I think I had lost a third of my net worth, and I was showing all of the emotional shock of that. And he turned around and said to me, uh, young man, always have fear when others have greed, and always have greed when others have fear. And it's something I've remembered ever since and and that is to stay disciplined and possibly uh, reduce risk when things are terrific and uh, maybe to err a little bit on the other side when things are not so good and to, to try to nudge people into um, you know rebalancing to, to to take advantage of of the decline and on, on on the riskier side of their asset allocation
2: It's easy to say that, but it's hard. Emotionally, to do that, to actually well, you know, pull it's, the trigger. Yeah, it's,
3: it's tough for the clients. I will tell you, if you've been through enough cycles uh, on my side of the fence, and if you remain analytical and, and a little bit of you've seen this before, uh, it's not emotionally tough. It can be emotionally a little frustrating. Uh, uh, but, but, uh, from, from this side of the fence, the emotions out of it after 45 years, but with the clients, yes, there is emotion because they are going to cocktail parties. They're talking to their neighbors. They're riding the train. And of, of course, uh, everybody is, is boasting when things are going up and talking about the end of the world when things are going down and we're all susceptible to the people around us. So, uh, it, it I do think it's value added if you can, uh, guide your clients rather than react to what they're feeling, which some people will do. Some people will do whatever the client wants just to keep the client uh, happy, but you're, you're not really uh, necessarily doing the right thing for the client uh, 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 by following that strategy.
2: Indeed. Okay. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is James Awad. Uh, he is the chairman of Plimpsal Mark Capital, uh, which is a division of Zephyr Management. We're going to get into – his process and what he thinks about the markets and where the best opportunities are today. uh, After this, we'll be back now.
4: We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America business network.
0: Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level.
5: Listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sun Joke All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk.
4: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is James Awad, the chairman of Plimsoll Market Capital, a division of Zephyr Management based in New York. Welcome back to the show, Jim. Thank you. I want to go through the process you do with clients a little bit and kind of see what people should do. The first one is what you call the need for contingencies. So uh, what is that as far as beginning uh, their investment portfolio?
3: Well, they, they need to have a certain amount of um, uh, uh, cash reserves uh, simply for what what uh, they, they might need on an emergency basis um, uh, for uh, whatever is going on in their life. For instance, they may have a student with a um, scholarship, but the scholarship is at risk, or uh, they may have um, uh, a, a roof on the house that uh, uh, might or might not need to be repaired, or uh, it could be that their job uh, is not at risk, but you su- suspect that maybe it's at risk. So you keep um, uh, a certain amount of um, uh, money simply for, uh a, a contingency emergency
2: so in today's world you are basically earning zero on it and are there places to earn something uh, as opposed to nothing on the kind of emergency money uh
3: yeah well uh the problem is that the, the the more the return uh the more the 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 potential for for some erosion let me give you an example uh you can put your uh money uh into a deflation hedge uh, the T. Row Price Strategic Income Fund, which pays a little under 35 to 4%, depending on where the price is, and it's got a, um, uh, a, a four-year effective uh, duration. And if you don't believe interest rates are going to go up and you want to park your money, uh, you can park it there. But on a month like um, uh, 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 May or the last two weeks in May, when bond yields went from uh, 160 to 2 uh, uh, 220, uh, th- there is a little bit of risk. Uh, you can put your money in the SIT U.S. government, uh, uh, securities fund, which pays, uh, one and a half percent, uh, uh, and, and is very stable, but, uh, if interest, interest rates go up, there is, uh, a bias to the downside. So you can, and, and the same with the SIT quality income fund. So you can eke out a little bit more of a return, but understand that uh, there is no free lunch with a little bit more return. There is a little bit more risk. Yeah.
2: Uh, I just want to kind of get your overall view of where we stand in the economic cycle. Now, the stock markets have really been very strong. Uh, Interest rates have started to back up here. Um, Are we still in the... The midst of a, a huge uh, bull
3: market here, or some yeah. people were it's starting to get aged. Yeah, this is this is. I've got to tell you, it's really hard today. And let me go through the positives and the negatives and and draw a conclusion for you. Uh, you know, the positives are that the U.S. economy is growing, uh, corporate profits are growing, U.S. corporations are in fabulous shape, and you know their creditworthiness is probably better than most sovereign uh, uh, credit creditworthiness and their. Uh, margins are at record levels. Uh, stocks are not yet expensive. Uh, on most models, uh, there are very few investment alternatives to stocks. You know, gold isn't working. Commodities aren't working. Fixed income has um, uh, historically low returns, and the market has a tremendous tremendous amount of momentum. Quite frankly, and it's going to it's going to go up until it doesn't. Uh, the negatives are that stocks are no longer cheap. They're not expensive, but they're not cheap. They're a little bit above, um, uh, fair value by most models, and I'm having them at about 16 times, uh, uh, earnings. Uh, so number two, stocks are up a lot, and there are a lot of hair trigger, uh, and, and computer-driven, uh, 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 uh managers out there where if the momentum is broken they won't think about it analyze it analyze it they'll react to it quantitatively and declines beget declines uh i am concerned by the amount of speculation in the uh credit markets uh you're almost back to 2007 levels uh in in terms of the loss of discipline in the um, credit markets covenant light loans i think some companies are getting access to money uh, that might not, uh, might should not have access to money. Uh, uh, they have the same issue in Europe, but the, the, even there, their economies are not growing. At least our economy uh, is growing. And in case nobody noticed it, uh, there are a lot of geopolitical risks in the world, uh, particularly in the Middle East, that uh, one or two accidents, you could be talking about the availability, not only the price, but the availability of oil, so my feeling is you know the market's going to go up until it gets overvalued uh, unless it's disturbed by an accident and an accident would come out of either the credit markets uh, or or a geopolitical event so uh, uh, it, 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 in, in line with my strategy not to try to maximize the last piece out of a rising market, um, I would stick with with a uh, an approach that worked very well up until two weeks ago and that more aggressive managers uh, are now eschewing, which is to stick with uh, uh, global companies with uh, rock solid balance sheets, global exposure, um, uh, uh, good dividends. You know if you can get three or four percent on the dividend and uh, three or four or five percent on the earnings and you're uh, especially in a retirement account that's a very good total return over time and and I would not downgrade into some of the more uh lower quality um uh, uh longer term lower quality companies. You, you when yields started to rise uh, a couple of weeks ago everybody said and and sold with a vengeance uh the income oriented stocks switching into cyclicals and uh uh technology uh and uh, even a little bit into commodities although not hugely. Uh, with the idea that you want to – that in the latter stages of an economic and market rally, you get the most out of lower quality, cyclical. Well, you know, I, I may be wrong, and if I'm wrong, I'll, uh, I'm happy to under-participate, but my feeling is when you look at the economy, the growth is medium. Uh, the data every day show that, including today's, that uh, any backup in rates will likely be self-fulfilling in that it will dampen the economy, mortgage rates uh... uh... etc uh... and and that so you stay in but you stay in with quality and and i would add that with with emphasis and underlines and capital letters uh... in the fixed income markets i would move from uh... junk rated to investment grade even though the yields might be less so you stay in there There's still there are still chairs at the table but in line with my statement about um uh... having a little bit of fear when others have greed uh, I would I would reduce risk, not increase it you know, after the market's um, uh, more than doubled in price.
2: So you wouldn't kind of go with the general consensus that we've reached the all-time low in yields and rates are going to start rising and that will hurt sensitive stocks like utilities and REITs and MLPs and areas where they've done so well because of their high yields. You, yeah, you don't well, think I wouldn't,
3: yeah, I wouldn't say I totally disagree. What I disagree is with the, the degree, the momentum – uh, and the forecasts, I think that rates have reached their low. Most probably, if they haven't, we're in big trouble, uh, because that means that the economy is gonna, uh, uh for some reason roll over. But I think the increase will be moderate, uh, uh, uh and gradual and not dramatic. And, and it's, it, 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 it's one where you can still get a reasonable total return from properly chosen income vehicles. Now, you know, you don't want to, be overly exposed to a company, uh, that is exposed to, uh, a, a rapid and surprised increase in interest rates, either short or long. Uh, so you want to stay measured, balanced. Uh, rates are likely to go up gradually, but not, not significantly, not consistently, and not dramatically, uh, because the economy isn't strong enough. Inflation, uh, isn't strong enough. And I think the, the Fed is very concerned about, uh, uh, stability in the financial markets. You know they themselves will take a huge loss on on their portfolio uh, if rates go up, and I think they they realize that if if the financial markets get out of control, it will uh, checkmate everything that they've been trying to do, and that it will self-destruct the economy. So I think the Fed's going to do everything they can. Uh, I guess there is a scenario where where in spite of the Fed, the bond vigilantes. Uh, take the market out of control, and, and, and take 10-year rates to 3% in a short period of time, uh, in which case those vehicles would get hurt. But if, uh, if the 10-year rate went from, I guess it's 2-1 today, uh, to 3% over a three-year period, I think that's something that most income-oriented portfolios could live with and work around. So you're saying the Federal Reserve
2: has really done the right thing and you're not one of the critics of them saying they're pumping all this money and it's going to
3: eventually create some hyperinflation. You know, I, I, I wouldn't go that far. I, none of us know the long-term implications of what the Fed has done. Uh, a cynic would say they've supplied all this money, and the best we can do is 2% growth. Therefore, the risk is deflation. Uh, other people are they're going to take a more classic – View and say somehow or other, all this money printing has to lead to inflation, but you don 't have the velocity at this point you don 't have the velocity in the turnover of that money uh, to create inflation. you know if you had job job growth of two hundred and fifty thousand a month and wage demands going up, that would be the case, but there 's certainly no evidence of it. I am intuitive, intuitively absolutely frightened about how the Fed gets out of this uh, long term because we 've never we are in the uncharted waters, we've never been here, none of us know how it's gonna end. All I'm saying is the Fed knows that too, and they are gonna do everything they can to do this gradually uh, in a way that will not be disruptive to the financial markets. And and that therefore, if you stay at 2% kind of growth and the Fed very gradually normalizes interest rates, that would be something that the credit markets, the economy, and an income-oriented portfolio, uh, could live with. And incidentally, that kind of, that kind of environment would not be terrific for cyclical and, and, and lower quality stocks. You have to believe to follow that trade, which is to short income-producing vehicles and go long cyclical, you have to believe that we're going to ratchet up to 3.5% growth. And, and, and you're not looking for that? Uh, I, don't, I would be very surprised. I mean, all the yeah. news coming out today is, is, is very split and what have, have you believe that what you see is what you get. We're probably not going to roll over and we're probably not going to accelerate. So it's a down-the-middle it, it, kind of an economy and a down-the-middle kind of investment strategy is how you respond to it.
2: And this is happening worldwide as well. You've got the Japanese really pouring money out there at an incredible pace. The Chinese are doing it. Uh, the Europeans, I mean, everybody is pouring money out. So you're saying traditionally this would create a lot more inflationary fires than we, we have today because of the low velocity.
3: Yeah, because of the low velocity. And it's it, it, all it's doing is is preventing us from rolling over into deflation worldwide. Europe is not growing at all. Uh, China, uh, China is down to seven from nine and a half. India is down to lower than five from seven. Uh, Brazil has gone from five, six, seven to zero, uh, and that's a huge uh, uh, economy. So, and and the U.S., you know, with all that we've done, and we haven't spoken about the fiscal discipline that we're getting as as a little bit of a healthy headwind. Um, uh, all, all of that money, all it's doing is keeping the world, you know, comfortably above zero. It's not leading to any acceleration or inflation. You can't say it's never going to happen because historically it's led to that kind of velocity. But, you know, historically we've never had a financial shock like we just had.
2: Very good. All right. We're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest today is James Awad, uh, the chairman of Plimsoll Market Capital, which is a division of Zephyr Management in New York. And we'll be back after this.
1: together in conversations that make a difference right here on the voice america business channel every friday morning at 10 a.m pacific standard time
0: everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand join Rochelle mccrary for the leader and the muse Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level.
5: Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to
2: The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jim Awad, chairman of Plimsoll Mark Capital, a division of Zephyr Management based in New York City. Welcome back to the show, Jim. Thank you. Uh, there are various long-term trends that you see going on. I want to kind of go into each one of them and then how they might have investment implications. One of the first ones is deleveraging. We took on a lot of debt in the past, but that seems to be happening at the private and corporate level, uh, but certainly not the governmental level where we're adding debt. So how do you see deleveraging and what are the investment implications of that?
3: Okay, so it's it's been a restraint uh, on, on uh, the growth rate of the economy. Uh, there, there's, there continues to be a debate as to how, um, uh, deleveraged the consumer has become. Some of the studies show that, uh, they're in much better, uh, uh, uh shape right now. Yet, uh, Stephen Roach, uh, I haven't had a chance to read it, but put out a piece last night saying the numbers, uh, uh, don't tell the full story. But what we can say is, until recently, the consumer deleveraging has been a headwind, uh, on the economy. And most recently, uh, the last quarter or so, the consumer has come out of the closet and has been growing their spending at about a 3% rate and has been uh, supportive of the economy. And certainly, you know, home building and auto sales uh, are reflective of that. Uh, in terms of the corporate, the corporate side is in great shape. Now, they are starting to re-leverage. Uh, uh, some of them are uh, because rates are so low and they want to lock in these rates. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, what the implications uh, of that are. At the state level, they've been deleveraging, uh, for several years because most of them, the books, they're, they're required to balance their books, and as revenues went down, uh, uh, they've had to cut costs, renegotiate pensions and, and, and contracts, and so that's been a restraining force. And the gov- federal side, uh, although the debt continues to grow, the rate of change. Uh, uh, is slowing, uh, due to the sequester and, and the, uh, tax agreement that was put in at the end, uh, of last year. So the federal, uh, uh is a restraint on the economy now, uh, but that's gonna morph into a, a much bigger problem, uh, about five or six or seven years out as the baby boomers continue to retire and put a bigger uh, uh, demand on uh, uh, Medicare and uh, Social Security and the other entitlement Meaning programs. Meaning that the deficits
2: will go up, that the government's going to have to start borrowing to cover uh, these increased uh, liabilities from uh, uh, entitlements in various ways?
3: Either, either that or entitlement reform, which I think is going to have to wait until after the next presidential election, because I think uh, it looks like at least through the congressional elections and probably through this presidential, uh, uh, cycle, uh, you've seen, you've seen, um, uh, compromise, uh, uh, you know, at, uh, thrown, thrown out the window. And so at some point, you know, any rational person, and I, I think Stanley Druckenmiller laid this out beautifully on a couple of TV, uh, uh, appearances that, uh, we, we, we are, we, we are going to have a, a very dramatically changed P&L for the federal government without entitlement reform. And the question becomes, do we, are we going to do that through crisis or pre-planned? And, uh, 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 that's out there. Unfortunately, we don't have to worry about it for a few years and the short-term deficit numbers are getting better, uh, which to answer your original question, at this point is a restraint, uh, on the growth rate in the economy.
2: So what are the investment implications of deleveraging? How do you benefit by the trend of deleveraging?
3: Well, if you believe that deleveraging is here and is going to continue, uh, that slows the growth of the the natural growth rate of the economy, and you want to invest in companies that um, uh, have very high market shares, uh, dominate their market shares, uh, have unlevered healthy balance sheets, generate excess cash flow, And have exposure to the, in the long term, the growth in the emerging markets. I think, you know, the emerging markets are taking a pause here, but the big picture is the transfer of wealth, uh, from the developed world, uh, to the emerging world, and, and they're gonna have higher secular growth rates, so you're gonna wanna invest in companies that have, uh, exposure to them. And then the other thing that's gonna work in a slow growth economy, uh, investors, will pay a premium for companies that can control their destiny and, and have higher growth. And, and so in the small cap sector, uh, I think investors will pay a premium for small cap growth companies who can grow uh, regardless of slow growth in the economy. So why don't you give us
2: an example of two in both categories, the uh, high yielding safe cash flow companies and the Smaller uh, growth companies you just yeah mentioned. well
3: and the the, 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 the the large companies you know the, the, unfortunately they 're all up a lot, so I would say to people, uh, you know you can buy half a position here and and uh, 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 you know the inevitable market correction, you can fill them out, but stocks like Intel and J p Morgan and Johnson and Johnson uh, all have very good dividends, Microsoft did until recently. Uh, it, it, you know, I'd wait three or four points on the downside for that. And GE is another example. In the small cap growth area, I've been out of the, that, you know that business now since 2007. Uh, so rather than give you names, I would simply say you know buy a Russell 2000 growth index, uh, 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 or better yet, find a good high quality. Uh, uh, small cap growth manager. And this is not to endorse small cap in general because small cap in general seems to have been a leverage play on the stock market in general. And when stocks go up, that Russell 2000 seems to go up a multiple uh, uh, of the market. And when it goes down, it goes down a multiple of the market. And I think a lot of it is computer and index and ETF driven. So I'm not endorsing small cap in general, but I am endorsing an approach that ferrets out um, small-cap companies that control their own destiny. And if you have the ability uh, uh, to go out there and and identify them, uh, uh, we, we, um, uh, would, you know, we would recommend them. I will tell you one manager uh, on, on, on our uh, program is the Eden Vance Atlanta uh, SMID cap fund, which is small and mid, uh, is an example of the, uh, uh, at least on, on our view, is the type of fund. I'm not particularly recommending that fund, but something like that is the type of fund that can help you uh, capture the small and mid-cap effect.
2: Another trend you say is is coming is re-regulation. We've got the Dodd-Frank regulation. We've got health care kind of going in, in, in Europe. There's a lot of new regulations. What are the investment implications of re-regulation around the world?
3: Yeah, well, you know, they they may be socially egalitarian, and, Maybe we should or shouldn't do that. I won't voice an opinion on that uh, because the rich have gotten richer and the poor are struggling, the below median. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, would not for a minute to say that it's wrong that we're doing that. But the investment implication is slower growth, higher costs for the economy in general and for the most visible companies. So, uh, again, in a, in in, a, in an economy, a worldwide economy that, that is restrained by that growth, you again want to invest in the two categories, uh, that I mentioned. Companies that can, can, that can prosper, big companies that can prosper, uh, and, and handle the higher costs, uh, uh, implicit in that environment, uh, and, and then companies, uh, smaller companies that can control their own, uh, destiny. And I will say, that if Obamacare uh, remains intact, gets in, uh, 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 enforced and implemented, and, uh, and we're with it, a ton of, of, uh, of small companies will emerge, if they, they're emerging already, to help large companies uh, in, uh, invest, uh, save money, uh in that environment now I personally have chosen to invest in a private equity fund that's going to capitalize uh on that run by a business school uh uh classmate but I would say that Obamacare uh uh is is um, going to create opportunities for companies uh that that help companies deal with Obamacare and healthcare
2: Who, who would be some of the the winners in in uh, I mean, it's clear that Obamacare is going to get implemented. Who would be some of the winners, even some individual companies uh, yeah, that you think so would benefit? I,
3: I can't go that far because we don't do them uh, on our platform. Again, I would say that if you picked if you picked a fund like the Eden Vance Atlanta smith Cap Fund, uh, that that would w- we would pay them uh, to go out and and find the companies and every good. Uh, small, mid-cap, growth-oriented investor. If you look, uh, peel apart the portfolios, they have a large allocation to health care, investing in companies that will benefit from that phenomenon.
2: And who might be hurt by uh, health care? I mean, people are talking about the premiums going up a lot and uh, people, so on. Who would be small, hurt by Obamacare?
3: Small companies are going to get hurt a lot. Uh, uh, and, and, and they are just going to have to figure out uh, – uh uh how to deal with it companies that that hire a lot of low cost workers who they previously did not insure are going to see a big jump in costs individuals are going to see uh, uh possibly a very big increase uh uh in premiums uh what what you uh, uh what what you're doing philosophically here is taking money from those who can afford to pay to expand the safety net for those who cannot afford to pay. I mean, that's what's going on in a societal sense. So those on the bottom will benefit. Uh, Those at the very top can probably take the hit. And many in the middle are likely to get squeezed. And if you work for one of these companies, uh, uh, if you work for a uh, a McDonald's or an Applebee's, uh, you know, you may find that your hours are cut Uh, enough so that they don't have to cover you, for instance. Uh, So it's a restraint
2: on the economy. It'll be a a slowing factor, a headwind to the
3: economy. Absolutely. There is no doubt in my mind that Obamacare is saddling the uh, economy with higher costs, which will slow the economy, so that, as a society, we can expand the safety net for the underprivileged. Very
2: good. We're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jim Awad. He's the chairman of Plimstall Mark Capital, a division of Zephyr Management based in New York City. We'll be back after this.
5: Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll free, 866 472 5790. 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight talking business consultant and author, working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it.
4: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jim Awad. Uh, the chairman of Plimsoll Mark Capital, a division of Zephyr Management in New York City. Welcome back to the show, Jim. Thank you. We want to talk about some of the non-traditional alternative investments that you offer and the pros and cons of, of some of those today. So let's just go through them uh, briefly here. Uh, distressed equities is one where you have companies at or near or emerging from bankruptcy. What, uh, what is the uh, um,
3: yeah. up there? Well, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't exactly put, you know, what I would call them are um, uh, cyclical, you know, opportunity. Uh, where, where you have a company that, that very much benefits from, uh, an improving economy, that there's a leveraged effect, uh, on, on, because of their capital structure, uh, or their history, there's a leveraged effect on their, uh, uh, uh business as a result of improvements, uh, in the, uh, in the, in the economy. So, uh, I would put in that, uh, category some of the um, uh uh funds we've been been using you know Axiom International uh has um, uh I would call it a a high octane fund uh that has some of those uh, uh there's something called the Gabelli Focus 5 fund uh that makes concentrated bets that um, uh, might be of interest to um, uh, somebody who wants, you know, some of the best ideas from the from the um, uh, uh, Gabelli uh, org- organization, um, uh, which, which I think is a you know a first class um, uh, uh, investment platform. Uh, those would be a couple that I'd mention in that area. And how
2: about distressed debt? How is that different in today's world?
3: Well, distressed debt um, uh, is is uh, really a uh, a specialty uh... and and uh... uh... you have to be very you have to be very careful there's uh... uh... a a lot a lot of risk in them and i would actually rather than give you a name in that area i would actually uh... suggest that people avoid it because the yields have come down people chasing yields the yields of distressed debt junk bonds have come down to historically low levels and, and if i'm right on my view of the economy uh, the, you know, that uh, it, it's not going to get super strong. Some of these companies have gotten money that shouldn't gotten money. And I think if you ever get back to the risk off trade from the risk on trade, uh, uh, d- the stress debt could give you a surprisingly uh, a, a, a unhappy return. So, you know, it, it is a valid investment class. I would not recommend it now.
2: And how about what you call young enterprises, uh, venture capital, and microcap equities uh, in today's environment?
3: Yeah, so you know, uh, venture capital we don't do uh, on our uh, platform, and it's not some place you would come to uh, Plimsoll Mark for. But venture capital and private equity—let me put them both in the same uh, category. Uh, if you're a wealthy investor, uh, uh, this is not for the not for the small investor and you know some of the big firms are are um, packaging some of these to make them available for the small investor but the costs for the small investor are just too high but if you're wealthy um uh you you um uh there is a place for private equity and for uh, uh venture capital uh in in i now in, take this as as i uh fully disclosed basis i'm saying this because it's intellectually correct if you like for instance, um, uh, 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 India. Uh, I happen to think that the Zephyr uh, Private Equity Fund is very good. If you're, if you're interested in health care, uh, there's something called Health Equity Partners uh, that, that I think does a very good job in private equity in health care. So I think... You can you – can, uh, uh, if you're wealthy enough to do it, you can get good diversification and, and, and good, good returns, non-correlated returns, if you can put up with the lack of liquidity by investing in both uh, private equity and venture capital.
2: And then you talked about emerging markets a little bit before. Um, they've been very volatile, but in the long run, you think it's important to have some money in emerging markets? Yes,
3: they are going to have higher growth. Uh, longer term, and interestingly, they've underperformed the U.S. market for the last year and a half because some of the emerging markets have, have – uh, their growth has slowed while the United States has accelerated. So the money has gone from there to, uh, uh, to the developed world, and they've underperformed by a huge amount. So it's actually a very good time, I think, if you've got a, a, a multi-year horizon to put money in emerging markets. And we've been using the, Allard, uh, the Lazard Emerging Markets Portfolio, the Harding-Lovner uh, uh, Emerging Markets uh, Portfolio, um, and, and uh, 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 our own Zephyr-Aurora Fund. And, and we've just added the Harding-Lovner Frontier Markets Portfolio. And what's interesting is, is some of the big emerging markets fund they concentrate on Russia, China, uh, uh, India and Brazil and those actually uh, in terms of uh, Russia uh, and Brazil are certainly not high growth markets now and and some of the growth is really migrated down to uh, countries like the Philippines and Indonesia and Thailand and so an emerging uh, a frontier markets fund uh, should be part of your package because it's capturing some of those growth rather than being uh, uh, weighted towards the larger emerging market geographies that are not growing.
2: We talked a little bit about the kind of uh, inflation-deflation debate, and there's a kind of argument for both sides. Uh, and you said we're basically going to be somewhere in the middle, 2% growth or something like that. Yeah. T- talk about the risk on both sides. Let's talk about first about the risk of deflation. I mean, you've got Europe that is pretty much in recession. Uh, you've got Depression-era unemployment in the, the southern tier, uh, I mean, is there a possibility that Europe could drag the rest of the world into a deflationary spiral? Yes,
3: it's possible. You know, it's still, you know, less th- something more than twenty-five and less than fifty percent. You know, the markets have been very forgiving uh, in 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 Europe. Uh, you'll notice that Portuguese, Italian, Greek yields have come way down. So there's not much room for for a surprise, and if there's a uh, a, a financial bankruptcy, or a vote by the people to leave the euro and, and just forget the debt. Um, uh, you know,
2: what would that mean? S- say the Greeks voted for, to repudiate the debt in effect and bring back the drachma. How would that uh, how Well, that would it that might be things? good
3: for the Greeks and bad for the rest of the world, because a lot of people would lose their money on the Greek debt, including mm-hmm. a lot of German banks. So I think what would happen is, you know, the, the Greeks could Currency devalue their way out of the straitjacket that they're in. So that would be uh, a deflationary event, you're saying? I'm saying it would be a deflationary event for the rest of the world because a lot of financial institutions w- would be hurt big time. Yeah. And I think you would see the r- risk-off trade come back to the financial markets in a big way. And that's kind of what
2: happened with country. Cyprus to some extent, right? Uh, say that again? That is kind of what happened with Cyprus and that uh, holders of uh, Cyprus debt took a big haircut.
3: Yeah, but it was small enough so the pain wasn't so big. You know, the more countries, you know, if Greece did it, then Portugal might do it, then Italy might do it. You know, it could become sort of um, a, a, a contagious effect. And the markets might assume it's going to become a contagious effect before it does. So uh, if that were to happen,
2: where do you want to have your money? If, if that deflationary event happens, where do you want to have your money?
3: The United States. In treasuries. Our banks have the uh, – uh, uh, United States have the, banks have the least exposure in that uh, – so there'd be a flight to safety
2: in the dollar and and uh, treasuries and strong corporates. Is what you're saying? Yes. And and is that someone? I mean, some people are saying they're reaching the limits of their tolerance for unemployment and pain and austerity in Europe, and that might happen. Is that yeah, possible? that
3: could happen. That's why I'm I'm saying it's something uh, more than 25 um, uh, and less than 50. It's not it's not like one or two. Um, uh, it, it's something, and again, another reason why I don't want to get too risky in any asset class is. That's lurking out there. And you could wake up uh, uh, one morning and, and not have time to react. It would happen overnight. So, yes, it could happen. As, as it kind of did with Cyprus. That kind of did happen overnight to some extent. Uh, yeah, it did, it did happen. And, and they rushed to contain it. But, uh, uh, you know, if it, if it happened, you know, bigger or more surprise, um, uh, it could cascade. And then on the
2: other side, what kind of inflationary... Uh, surprise uh, could there be? All this money that's been printing uh, for many, many years, the Fed and the Japanese and all these central
3: banks. Well, uh, if, if, yeah, if you saw the, 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 the biggest places where all this money could catch are, that would have a, a marginal effect on the world economies and psychology are the U.S. and Japan. So if all of a sudden, you know, Japan started to grow nicely if and and the US it looked like it was going to ratchet up to a 4% growth rate uh then then you you would you would start to see prices go up, wages go up, hiring go up, the money would start to turn and on the margin you'd see uh, uh some inflation now the other side of that coin is is interest rates would skyrocket would start to really shoot up uh, yes. in, in in that event and you know the, the other side of that coin is how far would interest rates have to go up before it affected, you know, valuations in the stock market, and and so would uh, you want to be in hard
2: assets if that were to happen? If growth were to pick up, you'd want to be in commodities and gold and those kind of things.
3: Yeah, well, yes. Uh, you know, uh, gold has gotten beaten up to the point. Um, uh, that I, I read a case over the weekend. of gold, they were said gold is the bit of biggest beneficiary of either deflation or inflation from here. Uh, it 's done terribly because we 've been in between those two, and in no. between those two, gold is boring and there 's no need for it, uh, <laughs> but gold would do well commodities would do would do well, but you know China would have to join the parade, China and India would have to join the parade if, uh, of the u s and Japan accelerating Very good before we go,
2: just give people a website where they can find out more about you and your firm
3: Sure, uh, uh, Just Google Plimstone Mark Capital. Uh, and, and uh, it'll take you right to the website. Plimsollmark, P-L-I-M-S-O-L-L, new word, M-A-R-K. Just, you know, Google it, and it'll, it'll take you right to the website. It'll tell you everything you need to know about us. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. My guest okay. has been Jim Awad,
2: uh, the chairman of Mark Capital, a division of Zephyr Management in New York. Thanks so much for a very interesting look at the entire world economy, Jim.
3: I look, I look forward to talking to you
2: again. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now.
1: Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.